Miracy. How do you feel while you're making the decision? Are you resenting the questions? Do you feel like, oh God, now she wants to know this, now I have to answer this? That's a sign to me, for myself anyway. It's time to take a break. Do you ever feel like you're constantly making decisions, big or small, throughout the day? Do you find yourself feeling mentally exhausted or even paralyzed by all the decision-making as a business owner and as a coach that you have to do? If so, you may be experiencing decision fatigue. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. As coaches, it's important to recognize the signs of decision fatigue in your clients and help them develop the skills they need to make better decisions. And the good news is, is there are tools at your disposal to help your clients make better decisions and improve the quality of life. And my guest, this is interesting, my guest thinks indecision is a form of self-abuse. So keep listening. Today, I've invited Rati Gorfin to explore decision-making with me. Rati is a professionally certified life coach who is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs who struggle with irregular income, irregular hours, and isolation to take control of their lives so they can get more business, make better decisions, and enjoy their careers. Welcome, Rati. Well, thank you for having me. And I just want to say that I didn't make up that quote of decision-making is a form of self-abuse. The first time I heard it was from a business coach of mine named Monica Shaw, and it just landed so strongly for me. So I certainly concur with her, but I don't want to take credit for that pithy statement. Well, it's interesting because I had a similar experience. When I read that, I was like, this is right up my alley. I had a mentor Oh my gosh, it's probably been seven, eight years ago now. And she said, indecision is the worst form of self-abuse. And when she said that, it stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, yes, ma'am, that is exactly (laughs) right. It is the worst form of self-abuse, not making a decision. I find that it's a way that keeps us feeling safe and playing small. Can you talk a little bit about that for a second? Hmm. Feeling safe and playing small. I agree, but it's a very sinister safety. It's a false safety. Yes. In that it does keep you small when you stay in the place of indecision. Have you noticed how you feel once you make a decision? I mean, I I feel this. I asked you, now I'm answering my own question, but I feel a sense of such relief. And suddenly my energy is freed to move forward. And I think we think we can game life. So people stay in indecision because they're so afraid they're going to make whatever a wrong decision might be. However, you don't know what life is going to bring. So really a decision is just a choice that gives the universe more information and keeps you moving. I love that because the the universe is always listening. Yeah, And so when we make that decision, it can correspond to that and support us. Now, before we get way too deep into this topic, which we're already heading there, but I want to go back for a second because not all of our listeners might be familiar with you or your work. So 
Could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and share that with our listeners? I started out as a theater artist for many, many years. Over time, it became clear to me that coaching was my right livelihood. And all of the transferable skills from being an actor and a playwright of listening, hearing people's stories, enjoying a good narrative, helping to shape a narrative with someone, that all of those were transferable skills to coaching. And I didn't have to audition anymore, which was such a relief. So going from theater artist to coach was a cumulative decision in a way. You know, I, I, my husband knew that I was leading a lot of groups to, you know, support myself and people were succeeding. I have a friend who became a DJ. I have another friend who opened a bookstore and my husband said, you should start charging. And by then I was burnt out on cleaning people's houses and restaurant hostessing and all the hustle that most actors, frankly, need to undertake and thought if I could get paid to do this, whatever it is. This is the thing for me to be doing. And the thing too is I don't think people make decisions in a vacuum. I didn't make that. Obviously, my husband had an observation that he shared. And many times I think people think that they have to be alone in their decision. I don't know that I've ever made any of the best decisions in my life on my own. Why do you think people have that feeling that they have to be alone to make decisions, especially bigger decisions? that they need to isolate themselves to figure that out. Why? What do you think drives that? There is the mythology that we're, as an adult, we have to know everything and what to do and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. The times that I made what I would consider mistakes are when I decided to do something but was so insecure in myself that I didn't want to share the various options with anyone else for fear that I might proceed inauthentically, that it, you know, it would cause me not to trust myself. So the paradox is between thinking you should be able to make a decision by yourself and thinking you're so suggestible that if you get any help with making a decision, it won't be yours. That, I think, is the paradox that causes people to stay in isolation with the decision-making process when in reality, all people are doing is reflecting, reflecting back what they're hearing and sharing the impact it has. Now, when we talk about decision fatigue, yeah, describe that just a little bit and maybe how is that different from poor decision skills? Right. Well, decision fatigue, if you're in a meeting, for instance, with your team, all that is, is decision-making as a business owner. I'm often in the middle of delegating, making decisions about whether someone should go right or left with the task. For instance, my client manager knows my clientele well enough. I work with neurodivergent people. She knows my clientele well enough to know that it's not one size fits all. Some people will respond better to a text. Some people will respond better to her picking up the phone. And she isn't privy to the knowledge I have of the client. So in the moment, I may have to answer little questions like that. Oh, given this person I'm working with, you're better off texting them. There's just so many little decisions as a business owner we have to make. You have to sign off on. There's no escaping it because delegating is not abdicating. 
And that's the challenge. You can't abdicate responsibility, even though you're not totally the expert in what you're delegating. You still have to know enough and be present enough and take responsibility for the choices that are made. And that can bring about decision fatigue and you got to rest. I'm very aware of not putting too many meetings of a certain type back to back because I know I'm going to be so burnt out. I'm not going to be in a good place to make all of the administrative decisions that need to be made. I was just on a team meeting and one of the gals on there, she made the comment, she's like, wow, it's been a day of back-to-back meetings and you could just hear the heaviness and the exhaustion Oh yeah, uh, in her voice and her energy. And she still had three more meetings today. We haven't even gotten through half the day. And so when you talk about decision fatigue, it's about that being in that constant state of decision-making mode, whether it's big decisions or small or whatever it's about. And then the more that we go through that, the longer that is without breaks or like you said, without rest, the quality of our decisions become impacted. Absolutely. As does your attitude. (laughs) You know, you talked about something important as, because we can look at this in two ways. You know, a lot of our listeners as a coach, they're, you know, they're a business owner. You just were speaking to that. We have a lot of decisions in our own business that we have to make. And then as we're working with our clients, wherever they are in their lives, they also have a lot of decisions. And when I was getting ready for this, I was thinking back to working with clients and, you know, our clients, they're often a mirror for us, I find, right? They're just reflecting our own stuff back to us. And uh, I've learned over the 20 years that I've been doing this, that when I can work on my own issues, triggers, things, often I find my clients have an easier time working through it as well. Uh, Have you ever had that experience? Like the more that you address like decision fatigue, for example, and turn that around that in a maybe an indirect way, you're helping your clients with that as well? Well, I'm pretty transparent in my coaching. I think there are moments in coaching where it is appropriate to share, you know what? I just went through something just like that. I mean, I think there has to be a certain amount of resolution or, you know, there has to be a reason to share the story. But I agree. It's it's uncanny how often clients will be going through something that reflects what I'm going through in terms of a crossroads in life, you know? Now, is decision-making, whether it's something that we're helping our clients work through or just ourselves and our business or our life, is decision-making a skill set that you can learn? I love that question. I don't think it's a skill set. The skill set is in being clear about your values and priorities. Having that clarity and getting to that clarity is a skill set. A decision is just a decision. One of the things that I work with my clients with a lot is something called working memory, which is part of the executive function. And the challenge for people with ADHD is they don't have ready access to their working memory. In other words, they may not remember how they did something successfully before. One of the ways I help them develop that is by asking, can you remember a moment in your life where you were in this same type of situation and everything just went beautifully? 
and they will mine that memory, which they wouldn't do unless prompted, for the factors that were involved so that they can make a decision based on their past experience. But the skill is in, I think, as coaches, learning to prompt people that way. And by doing that, we are, well, training, even though we're not trainers, we're training the client to think like their own coach and mine their past experience as a point of reference. So that's a long way of saying, no, I don't think decision-making is a skill set. To make decisions, I believe you just have to decide they're right. That's the skill, if any. You just decide whatever decision you make is right. In a way, to me, a decision is revealed rather than made. Oh, I love that. Say more about that. For instance, I was talking to a client this morning who was worrying about a potential job and had certain issues and questions during the conversation with the uh, person who was doing the hiring. And he was getting fixated on how to follow up, whether or not to CC somebody, et cetera. And I asked him, what are your, in terms of business, what are your top values? And the first thing he said was honesty and transparency. And then I was able to ask, it sounds like you have your decision. (laughs) And he did. He just had forgotten what matters to him for a moment. I just wrote it down and I even just got out my highlighter and highlighted it. I'm about to take this to my team after we get done with this interview. A decision is revealed rather than being made. I love that. So there's a difference, I think, between ruminating a decision, which is a form of self-abuse, and allowing a decision to be revealed. Sometimes you may want to make a decision, but if you're not under the gun and you still aren't clear, maybe you need to leave it alone for a while. Let your subconscious wrestle with it a little bit. I've got two rules that I follow for myself. I have the 24-hour rule where if there's a decision that I'm like, oh, I want to do that or I want to experience that or whatever. Maybe it's buying something on Amazon or enrolling in a program or saying yes to a trip with some friends, whatever it is. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to do that. And then I'll be like, okay, uh, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then I just percolate is what I call ruminate, um, but percolate. And then I just, you know, I'm off doing other things. I might be working on a project or talking with some friends, but I'm not really giving it a whole lot of attention. And then 24 hours later, if I have still been thinking about it or it's been top of mind, I know, okay, there's some, there's something there. If I have not thought about it since it's like, well, it was an impulse probably. So maybe this isn't the next right step. And then I start asking more questions about you know, whether it's my values, my priorities, how does this serve me uh, and start exploring it that way. But I give myself the 24 hour rule. And then the other thing that I, (laughs) that I have is if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no until I find out differently. Yeah, man. I love your policies. (laughs) I, I think that's key. Having policies allows you to make decisions and it gives you the space to not make a decision until you feel grounded in it. I, I think that's wonderful. And the other thing, if you decided like, okay, these are my goals for this quarter, for instance, and someone comes along and says, I could double, triple, quadruple your business through social media analytics and blah, 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 blah. You know, that's a shiny object. You got to put it in the parking lot. Say, I'm not taking anything new on. So uh, that for me is another litmus test. Is this going to move me towards the goals I've already established for myself or not? 
What are some of the common symptoms or signs that someone is experiencing that decision fatigue? How, how can a coach recognize these in their clients and help their clients with that? That's a good question. I think if you're feeling cranky, it's how do you feel? How do you feel while you're making the decision to a large extent? Are you resenting the questions? Do you feel like, oh, gosh, now she wants to know this. Now I have to answer that. That's a sign to me, for myself anyway, that it's time to take a break or it's time to table the question. I think it's an emotional thing. If you are relaxed, open, and you are experiencing a sense of intrigue, and you're still in that place of wonder and intrigue in, in your innovation process, for instance, in a meeting, then you're in a good place to be making decisions. And if you're not, and you're feeling tense, it sounds like it's time to go to ground, as the vampires say. Yeah. Now, when I was just listening to you describe some of those symptoms of decision fatigue, feeling cranky, resenting, being tense, anxious, those things. Uh, one of my mentors, she always said, do something every day that scares you, right? And so you're, you're expanding your capacity, you're expanding your comfort zone. And it was just, it was a curious thing about, you know, the distinction between decision fatigue versus making scary decisions. While they might be aligned with your values and priorities in the next best step, you might have this sense of wanting to vomit because you're taking that step. So how do you how do you know if it's decision fatigue versus making that aligned scary decision? Well, I think what you just said about feeling afraid, there's a lot of meat on that bone. So if a client may say, well, I've decided I, I'm going to commit to writing 2,000 words this week. And I'll ask, well, how does that feel? And they say, scary. I said, well, then you've done well. The fear is also a compass for where you need to go to grow. Mm, there's a good one. Yes. So it, it's a barometer. Fear, fear is useful. It's not the same as the fear of, you know, there may be traffic coming and knowing to, that's good fear. Mm -hmm. But the fear of stepping into a commitment like writing 2,000 words this week, that's the fear that's telling you to go and step right in it. Step into that fear. Do what you're afraid of. Because that's a limiting fear. That's a fear that says, no, well, what if you don't quite make it to 2,000? Well, so what? Now, you talked about you got to rest. If you're having all these decisions you're making back-to-back -back or back-to-back -back meetings or you're getting into that decision fatigue mode. So what role does self-care play in reducing decision fatigue? How can we encourage our clients to really embrace and even prioritize that in their daily routines? Well, I, I think it's critical for anybody to have some kind of scaffolding in their life. That's what self-care is. Planning is the highest form of self-care. And I think that's true. Uh, planning on a micro and macro level. Planning your day the night before. Planning what you're going to wear the night before. That's self-care because you're not going to wake up and right away be confronted by a bunch of little decisions like, what do I do first? What do I wear? What do I, you know, what are, what are the important actions today? Planning allows you to, I think, make decisions from a calm, not in the moment flying by the seat of your pants place. That, planning is decision making. I'm a believer in having structure with flexibility built into it. 
that's, I think, going to put position you better for decision-making and not tending towards decision fatigue. Are there exercises that you've used with your clients to help reduce that decision fatigue? If they're reticent to make decisions, I don't know if it's decision fatigue, but I will have people flip a coin. If you flip that coin and you don't like what came up, that's information. If you say, okay, heads is this choice and tails is that choice, you flip the coin and it comes down tails and you're glad, well, you just weren't ready to admit you had made a decision. If you're not glad, well, there's your information. So I think there is something to be said for using external tools and tricks because, again, they're prompts. Yeah. Yeah. I've had clients where I've, they've been going back and forth between something and on a session. I'll talk about let's act as if for the next few moments. So let's act as if you've made decision A. Now tell me what's happening next. What's going on? How is this impacting your family, your life, your career, whatever the situation is? And I just have them paint that picture thoroughly. And I just listen to their language. I check out their body language, their energy. And then I say, okay, now let's switch. Let's say you made the other decision, decision B. Now let's talk that out. You've made decision B, what happens next? And without me having to say anything, they hear themselves saying both of those scenarios. And they're like, oh, I, and then it's a matter of, do they want to make that decision? They know which decision to make, but now it's a matter of, ooh, am I going to make that decision? Yes. I mean, I love that. That's just, that's what we do, isn't it? I mean, help people hear themselves and, and really actually rehearse in a way and experience a decision. That's what I heard you describing. Having someone try on a decision. I like that. Now, another thing that I use in my business to help me make decisions is my intuition. I have spent many years really working on hearing my intuition, feeling into it, listening to it, acting on it, responding to it, trusting it. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about what role does intuition play in making decisions and how can we help our clients balance that more feeling intuition with the brain rational analysis side of decision making? Mm, That's a great question. Well, I will take a client through a contemplation or meditation, whichever you want to call it, and allow them to just go within themselves and visit a version of themselves many years down the line, their, uh, their wiser, older self, and just sit in the presence of that version of themselves and ask what they would do. It's a way of tricking oneself, I think, into their own intuition. An exercise that I actually came up with, I call it the mezzanine, and it's in a book that I have coming out this July. I will take people into the mezzanine. And what that means is it's the theater in their mind. And it came out of a dream I had in psychoanalysis many years ago. But I'll invite the client to go, okay, step into the mezzanine. You're in that beautiful theater, front row, mezzanine high above the stage. And just, I, I want you to relax and play the circumstances out in front of you. Uh, that works really well if somebody feels they've made a bad decision. They can watch the situation. And I say, okay, replay that. What would you see different? You're the playwright as well. Play that out differently. And what do you see? What would you do next time? Because that's also training them in uh, tapping their intuition, in a safe space to be able to 
you know, replay from a place of calm contemplation how they may have dealt with a given situation if they had the chance again. That's cultivating intuition and preparing them in a future sense for, for making a decision. I love that. I love that visualization. I mean, micro decisions, small decisions. I think making many, many, many of those is more what leads to decision fatigue. And that's a different matter than having a decision that is going to really shift the trajectory of how you operate, for instance. Um, That kind of decision, you do want it to be revealed, you know? I I, got to share with you because it's so ironic. I, I'm going through a process right now of making a decision and I'm very decisive. And for the first time, I'm not just going with my gut because I have had enough experience. It has to do with changing softwares, right? And the thing is in business, sometimes, okay, a better software will solve a problem, but it's usually not the system, the change in the system that's going to solve the problem. And so I have these three different vendors competing, trying to sell me the same thing, essentially. And what was revealed to me in the course of speaking to them is, I'm not ready to make this decision yet because I am not really getting to the core issue in my business. This decision is not really going to address that core issue. And in this case, It had to do with really understanding where my clients come from. What is my key, uh, what do they call KPI? What is it in my business that is actually resulting in what I want? And if I don't understand that, then I really don't have the grounds for making an informed decision. Sometimes you realize in the course of making a decision that there's another decision you haven't made yet. It's premature. And I've often found with clients that they'll want something. There'll be a certain goal. And in the process of talking about the goal, what's revealed is these preliminary goals and preliminary decisions that need to be made first. So I think not getting impatient with yourself is key, not beating yourself up. Being curious about that, the fact that, huh, I'm not able to make this decision yet huh, I wonder what's going on here, being curious. So for me, having this experience of being indecisive, which is very unusual for me, has been a real education. And it made me look more deeply at the decisions, the choices that I've already made and how they've turned out. And what have I overlooked? Oh, okay. So maybe it's not about getting a whole new system. I need to focus on optimizing what I already have. You know, certain decisions, I think you're right, at least 24 hours. Mm, Yeah. So let's summarize some of the things that we've talked about. We kicked off by talking about how indecision is just the worst form of self-abuse. We talked about with decisions, really they're choices. And when we make those choices, the universe can support us in better ways. And how we don't make decisions in a vacuum. We really talked about getting into what is decision fatigue. And and we talked about, I love the distinction that you really took us through about decision making is not a skill set. It's just choices. 
But the skill set is really getting clear in our values and priorities. And then my favorite takeaway from our conversation is a decision is revealed rather than being made. Oh, I just need to have the space for it to be revealed so I can have the clarity in that instead of forcing something to happen. And we talked about the distinction between ruminating on a decision versus allowing it to be revealed. And I just, I love how he got into the policies, as you call them, where you know, whether it's a 24-hour rule or the hell yes versus hell no or any of those policies that we have to help us uh, make those decisions so that they can be revealed. And we got into symptoms of decision fatigue. We got into the role of self-care and the role of intuition when it comes to making decisions and decision fatigue. Uh, I love another thing that you said when we were talking about the distinction between decision fatigue versus making scary aligned decisions. And you talk about how fear is a compass for where you need to go to grow. And then at the very end, I really loved that one as well. That gem that you left us with. Sometimes you realize in making a decision that there's another decision that you need to make first. Rati, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Trust life that whatever decision you make, it's going to be okay. And also the uh, gift that I'm giving your listeners, the, the three keys to decision-making, that free gift is designed to reveal a decision, to help you reveal a decision by putting all the factors on the tape. And lastly, you're not bad or wrong if you can't make a decision. Curiosity. Be curious about the fact you can't make a decision. I love it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Rati Gorfin for this great conversation. You can find out more about her at creativecallingcoaching.com. That's creativecallingcoaching.com. And in the show notes, You'll find a free resource from Rati called, like she just talked about, The Three Keys to Decision-Making. Rati, thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, what a ball. Thank you. I'm really honored to have been here. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and For Better or For Work. Mishi Lance produced this episode, I wrote this episode together with her. Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer and Danny Innie is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. And if you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it 
and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.